Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. This is my favourite Pixar film uh, that I want to look at with you this morning. Uh, it is incredibly rich. Um, you know, I, I could speak for weeks on end on this one film. I won't. Don't worry, okay? I, I won't this morning, but I could do. Uh, you know, I want to tell you the story in, in a nutshell, really, if you haven't seen it. Uh, it centers around this central character called Carl, Carl Friedrichsen. Uh, when we meet Carl, he's an elder, elderly gentleman, and he promised his wife all of their lives that he would take the, the, them, that they would both go to the place of their dreams, a place called Paradise Falls. But, you know, when we meet Carl, he's on his own, and we'll understand why in a moment. And, uh, and he, the judge has just ordered him to surrender his house because they want to take his house as part of a new housing development. But Carl doesn't want to do that, and he decides eventually that he's not going to do that. He's going to go on that uh, adventure of a lifetime. And so he attaches helium-filled balloons, hence the balloons, to the house, and the house goes up, and they head off to Paradise Falls. By the way... Pixar estimates it will take 26.5 million helium-filled balloons to lift up the average house. I have a dream about that old building next door. Who's with me on that? Who is with me on that? It's a lot of balloons, but in Jesus' name we can do it. So when we meet now, now the thing with Carl, when he goes on this adventure, he is inadvertently joined by three traveling companions, a, 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 a boy scout called Russell, a dog called Doug, and a bird called Kevin. And when we meet Carl, when, when Russell, the boy scout, first meets Carl, it's fair to say he's a grumpy old man. It's great what happens with these two characters, but maybe the character that shapes Carl the most is his wife, Ellie. And um, they meet as young people, and they fall in love, and they get married, and uh, they get a house and they have dreams and they create a nursery in the house that never gets filled with a child. And they say, we, we, our, our life's going to be an adventure and we want to go to this place, Paradise Falls. And so they get a jar and they save money in it to go to Paradise Falls and they have a picture of it on their fridge and they, they put the money in. But then life happens and, and the money gets taken out to pay for the car that's broken down and the bills and the mortgage and then... Eventually, Ellie gets sick and Carl's deepest fears come to pass. And I have to tell you that um, this is the saddest 20 minutes in any family movie I've ever watched in my life. In fact, I remember taking Simeon, our youngest son, um, when he was at home. But, you know, many of you know he's in, he's in care now because of his special needs. But Simeon loves the movies. And I remember taking Simeon to see up. And almost like him passing me tissues during the film because it was so moving. It was so emotional. And I make no apologies for sharing this. And I know this is going to be hard for many of you in the room. But Jesus has something to say to you. So hang with us. You know what's incredibly powerful about movie making and storytelling is that it pulls you in, doesn't it? And how many of us here in the room or those watching or listening, you're almost pulled into a story with a resonance and you... And, and, you know, with the dream and the disappointment and the, and, the, and the fun and the, oh, and all of that. That's what makes life the adventure that it is. But you know, what happened to Carl uh, in the film is that he gets stuck. He gets stuck after his wife, Ellie, dies. And, um, and it, it, he's really, really sad. And when we, when we meet him, um, as you saw in the, in the fun bit, when, when Russell comes to the door, we see that, that he's, kind of, he's kind of got himself stuck and he's square 
and his face is square and his glasses are square and his fingers are square and, and the clock in his house is square and everything's square in his house and square doesn't move. Square's clunky. Certainly doesn't go up. But Ellie was round and she was vibrant and she brought the spontaneity and, and the passion and the life, you know, and the colour ties and, and, and all of that. And um, when his house is um, about to get taken um, for the housing development, he makes a bold decision and he's going to go up. He's going to go on a trip to uh, attempt to recapture uh, the dreams he shared with, Ali, with Ellie, to live the life he felt he was created for. Um, if he can get his house to Paradise Falls, then maybe he's no longer a disappointment in her eyes. And there's something very powerful in this film. In his mind, he's a disappointment in her eyes. How many of us get trapped in, I think he thinks this. I think she thinks this about me. And actually, as we'll find out later, it wasn't true. But for years, he allowed himself to get trapped in this captivity, this prison of, I think he thinks this. He's a disappointment in her eyes and he's living out of this. And he, he begins to imagine a change in his life. And, and I think the message of this film could be summed up in this simple phrase, don't give up, look up. Don't give up, look up. What can we learn from this amazing film? I, I googled it. What can you learn from the film Up? And, and, and Google gave me 10 uh, answers. I'll give you a few of them. Um, they're, they're so deep and profound. Adventure is out there. The sky is the limit. You're never too old to achieve your dreams. I really like this one. She's not at this service. Marry someone just as weird as yourself. That's a good thing. And you know, it goes on and it, it, the lessons there are like, life is better when there's chocolate in it. That's one of the deep lessons. Listen, those are Google's lessons. We're going to go a little bit deeper than that today. And we're going to go to the Bible and we're going to look at a story of Jesus. And, and, and you know, Jesus was, was an incredible guy. And, 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 and some of the, the stories we have in the Bible about Jesus were captured by people who were there. Okay, and Matthew, Mark and Luke and John were there and they wrote the stories of Jesus in what we call the Gospels. And one story particularly, um, Matthew, Mark and Luke all cover the same story and John alludes to the story as well in his writing. So it's really important. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 17 and I'll tell you the story. I want a little bit of our audience participation. I realised at the first service that the, the, the congregation was so emotionally traumatised okay, that it was hard to get going. All right, But you, you can kind of roll with me. So, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them. You're so much better than the first service. Just don't tell them that I've said that, okay? Up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. It's very similar to what happened when Jesus was baptised, and a voice from heaven said very similar words. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get... Great. He said, don't be afraid. And when they looked, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. This is what technically is called the transfiguration. It's a very big word. There's five really big moments in Jesus' life. There's this birth as well. But in his adult life, there's the baptism, 
There's the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension when he went up to heaven. But there's this one, the transfiguration. And transfigured literally means changed form. And it's almost like God kind of pulled back the curtain and showed those three guys who then went and told all their mates, all the other disciples. So hence, we've, you know, we've got, they all knew about it. You'll never guess what happened. Jesus, the man that we've been hanging with for these weeks and months, actually, he's really God and we saw who he really is. This was a key moment. It happened just after when Jesus was in a place called Caesarea Philippi and he took the, these guys and, and the other disciples and he asked them, hey, who do you say I am? Don't, don't tell me who other people think I am. Who do you think I am? And then Peter comes out with his classic statement, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in the next chapter, Jesus takes him up a mountain with these other guys to show him, to show Peter and James and John exactly who he really is. And when they look up and they see Jesus as he really is, everything changes. You see, don't give up, look up. Don't give up, look up. And I want to tell you three things about this story, which I think are so true. And they're true in, in the story of the film Up, and they're really true in real life. Number one, Jesus came down, guys, to call us up. Jesus came down to call us up. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent down his one and only son, Jesus that when we believe in him, we are lifted up. The Bible uses this imagery. We're lifted up out of a pit. We're lifted up out of the miry clay, it says. And he puts our feet that were in clay in a pit on a rock. No matter who we are, no matter how much money we've got, no matter how successful we think we are in the world side, if we don't know Jesus, we're in this kind of pit. But Jesus came down to call us up. And he puts us on, 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 on a rock and he lifts us up out of our fear, out of our shame, out of our sin. The Bible said we are, when we know Jesus, we are seated with him in heavenly places. We don't look up to difficulties, we look down on them. Because Jesus came down that we would be lifted up. So don't give up, look up. And it's not a one-off event, it's a daily invitation to go up. I love this verse, Revelation chapter 4. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And this is, this is a, a vision that John, the other writer of the Gospels, has uh, in Revelation. And it says, And the voice I had heard speaking to me, I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come, here it is again, come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. How many of you are excited that the Premier League season has started? How many of you are absolutely destroyed and couldn't care less? You don't care. Yeah, many of you. I was very excited for about 63 minutes yesterday when the beloved and mighty Aston Villa back in the big league were 1-0 away to Spurs, away, and then we lost 3-1 in the end. So I was up and then I was down. But there's a really important phrase in, in, in the game of football. And if you played it, you'll know what it is. When you've got the ball and you're running and your head's down, all the crowd is shouting, get your head up because if you keep your head down you can only see that much when you get your head up you see a whole different perspective you see who's against you you see who's coming at you you see who's with you you see the opportunity for space who's moving into space and you can play that killer ball you see who's moving ahead you you can see things when you get your head up and I, and I want to say Jesus calls and invites every single one of us to get our head up get your head up Whatever circumstance you're in, whatever situation you're in, get your head up. When you get your head up, it is a whole different view. I love living where I live in this place. I'm, I, I love traveling. You know that I travel a lot. 
Uh, um, but I, I, you know, in my life, 53 years now, I've lived within four or five miles radius, different houses. I just love this area. One of the things I love about this area is I love Clent Hills. Ever since I was a little kid, we went up to Clent Hills. I remember going up Boxing Day. It was our tradition to go up Boxing Day as a family and to walk up Clent Hills. And um, all through my adult life, Clent is that place where I'll go up when I really want to meet with God. I'll sometimes just go up for a walk. Me and Alison love walking. Um, but I remember back in my life, key moments in my story, and I asked Alison permission to share this, which I shared at the first service, when we met when we were teenagers and started dating each other, 16, 15. And um, by the time I was 17 or 18, we hit a rocky patch in our relationship, and I was a bit of an idiot back then. Some of you are saying, you ain't changed at all, have you? I know that. Uh, and, I was, and, and we split up, okay? I won't tell you why. It was all my fault. Um, but I can remember driving, because I was driving just then, and walking up to Clint and walking up and saying, God, what am I doing? What an idiot. And it was like there where, where I said, oh, I've got to go back and sort this out. I had to get up to see a different perspective. Fast forward years and Alison and myself are married and get the news about Simeon's diagnosis with complex needs learning disabilities and I remember us being so traumatized not knowing what to do and and trying to talk with each other and I can remember just a few days after that having to go on my own up Clent Hills to get up to get a different view and a different perspective fast forward a whole load of other years into 2015 when we had the fire next door I can remember driving up to Clent and walking up on my own saying God what are you doing but you know when you get up you see life from a different perspective don't you so I want to say to you this morning don't give up. Look up. Maybe it's not Clint for you. Maybe it's somewhere else. Get your head up. Look up. Don't give up. Look up. Secondly, though, this is important. Jesus keeps calling us up because we keep getting stuck. Now, I love what Peter does here. In verse 4, Peter does the classic Peter thing, which I have done many, many times. Open mouth, disengage brain, insert foot. Anyone ever done that? You know, I've done it. And Alison will say to me, you said that out loud? Yes, I did. I opened my mouth. I, yes, I thought she was pregnant, that lady that I congratulated. And she wasn't. And, and Peter does this classic thing where he just opens his mouth. And, and, and there's Jesus in his glory. And there's Moses and Elijah that show up. And, and this is a bit freaky if you're not used to this. This is like, really? Check it out. It's really significant, this, this vision, or this, this, this appearance of Moses and Elijah. But we haven't got time to go into the significance of all that. But basically to say, Peter's like, this is incredible. This is an incredible spiritual experience. Let's stay here. Let's build memorials. Let's, Limitless was so amazing. Let's stay here, sleeping in the cow shed for the rest of your lives. No, you don't want to mean that. But basically, this spiritual experience, and Peter does what many churches do. They get stuck in the experiences of the past. And he said, let's just build shelters and then we'll stay here. And so what was a movement becomes a monument. What was innovation becomes institution. And we get stuck. And many churches do that. And I go to churches that still talk about what it was like in the 1930s. And it's almost like they've built a memorial to what God did in the past. But actually, Jesus goes on to say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go down. We're going to go down and we're going to move on. But you need to remember what you experienced up. So that then you can go down and move on. We're not going to stay. 
where we are. We're going to have this encounter, but then we're going to go down. And that's so important for churches. I am so pleased that this church has never done that. We've never stayed stuck in that space for too long. We could have done. You know, in October, it's our 40th anniversary, the 19th and the 20th of October. You do not want to miss it. We've got some incredible things lined up. Some people that have been part of the church leadership of the past are coming along to be involved. We've got overseas people we're hoping to bring. Uh, We've got overseas people that are going to send us messages. It's going to be brilliant. But as we tell the story on the 19th and 20th of October um, about the past, you need to know many, many times this church could have got stuck in the past. You know, when the church began in 1979, it was a house group. It was a small group of people and they were, they were loving each other and it was in a living room and it was great and it was vibrant. And they could have said, let's build memorials here and let's stay here. But they didn't. And you know, then in 1981, they moved to a little building on the Starbridge Road, which was a Methodist chapel and the church was called Zion. And that's where the name Zion came from that we changed a few years ago. And it was called Little Zion. And I remember as a, a teenager, I was in the Salvation Army. I remember going to Little Zion and, and being at communion services and, and being there when it was full and there were people hanging out the balcony and, and it was great and God was moving and they could have got stuck and stayed there, but they didn't. And some of you are Christians today because they refused to get stuck yesterday. Isn't that amazing? And then I remember being in the old building there in my time as well. And, and, and we were full and we could have said, this is great. Let's build a memorial and let's just stay here. But we didn't. And we kept pressing on. And now we're in different locations. And next week I'll be in Albania and, and with our church out there. Because we're not going to get stuck, are we? We refuse to build memorials to a Jesus who is alive. We're not going to try and bottle the spiritual experience and say, that's enough to a Jesus who is alive who is alive and who is always calling us up, up and beyond. And you know, individuals get stuck. And you don't just get stuck in the good experiences. You often get stuck in the bad. And you too, that band uh, had a song years and years ago called, You're Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of. And I wonder this morning, guys, if some of us are stuck. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a dream that seemed to die. Maybe it was something that, you know, you you promised somebody and you haven't been able to fulfill it and you got stuck. I think Jesus would say to you, I think he would say to Carl Friedrichsen, you know, I know he's not real, but Jesus is. He would say to him, hey, don't look, give up, look up, don't get stuck. There's an incredible verse where where, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul is telling his story about what's happened to him. And it says this, uh, it says, Jesus spoke to me and he said this, get up and stand to your feet for I have appeared to you to reveal your destiny to commission you as my assistant you'll be a witness to what you've seen and to the things I'll reveal I'm going to do stuff through you but you've got to get up you've got to get up can't stay down you've got to get up and then this verse in Isaiah shake off your dust rise sit in throne Jerusalem free yourself from the chains on your neck daughter Zion Jerusalem and Zion are it's talking about Israel but in our context that's kind of talking about the people of God And you were a captive and there was dust thrown at you. Rise up. And when I read this verse again, it reminds me of one of my favourite stories. And I tell this story often when I'm out speaking, especially in the developing world. Because it's a story set in Africa. And I was in Tanzania in June and told this story. And in the community that I was in, I was the only white person that I saw, I think, for the week. 
And um, the guys that I love dearly over there, they, they, in Swahili, they, they call a white person Mzungu. And so I was, oh, look, Mzungu, Mzungu. Um, but on the last night, I thought, I'm going to preach at this church. And they really African. And I thought, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to go African style. So I preached African style, okay? And some of the people in the church came to the pastor afterwards and they said, he is not a Mzungu. He is African in a Mzungu skin. That's what they said, all right? And so, yes, there you go. Afriki, Nyambo over there. So I basically spoke this uh, message and, and I used this story. And it's a story many of you will have heard, but it's a story about an old donkey. And um, this old donkey falls into a pit and, and the old donkey is near death anyway. And, and it's a deep pit and the farmer comes along and thinks, ah, I ain't going to be able to get that donkey out. I might as well just bury it where it is because that's what's going to happen anyway. And so that so that he get, he gets the uh, the shovel and the and the soil and he begins to fill in the donkey and pours the dirt and the dust on the donkey, and bury him. But the donkey kind of something goes on inside the donkey and the donkey thinks I ain't gonna let you bury me, and so he shakes the dust off. And I'm, I won't do it like I did it. Okay, he shakes the dust off his shoulders and then he steps on the dirt. And then he puts some more in and he shakes it off and he steps on it. And he shakes it off and he steps up. And when he shakes off and steps up, eventually it gets to the top of the pit and he walks free. And sometimes in life, guys, when life throws dirt and dust at you and on you, we have to shake it off and step up. We have to shake it off and step up. We say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to look up to the God who calls me up, the God who was up, who came down, so that we who were down could go up. Isn't that amazing? And uh, then finally, Jesus helps us up with what I call a touch and a look. I love, I love the end of the story where, where they see Jesus transfigured and they, they hit the deck because this is, whoa, this is huge. This is amazing. This is like bigger than any light show ever. This is incredible. And they've got their heads down and they're, they're lying prostrate. But the Bible says that Jesus came over and he touched them. And as he touched them, they got up. And then as they looked up, the Bible says, they saw no one except Jesus. Jesus lifts us up with literally a touch and a look. And that's what he did. And when, and when the, the, the lame man was lowered uh, into the room that he was speaking at by his four friends, he looked at him and he says, hey, their faith saved you, healed you. Get off your mat. And he looked at him. Often a, a leper, that, the, 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 someone with leprosy rather, that came to Jesus and, uh, and he didn't just speak the word and heal him. He could have done that and sometimes he did, but he invariably also touched them as well. And the woman that had that issue of blood, that, that illness, and she pushes through a crowd and touches him and he looks at her. And as he looks at her, he says, daughter, with that word, with that look, she's transformed. He lifts us up with a touch and a look. And I was thinking about my own life. I was thinking about when the times where Jesus has done that for me. And many, many years ago, I was a young leader and, and I, I was looking to somebody, another leader that I really respected and and this leader let me down and let many people down very badly. And I was very hurt by it for a long time. And I can remember going to, um, being on holiday somewhere and being in an old church building. Me and Alison loved old church buildings. And it was a Catholic building, actually, one of these old buildings somewhere in Europe. And I can remember 
kind of pulling away on my own a little bit and thinking about all this stuff and my disappointment in some in a person. And I remember the scene on, on the crucifix, you know, the Jesus on the cross. And it's almost like just as I looked at Jesus, it was like the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus just said to me, don't look there, look there. Look at me, look up. Just listen to that look. And then I remember about eight or nine years ago, just, just a few months after my father had died, passed away, uh, I remember being out in Atlanta with a friend at, at a leadership conference. There were 13,500 people in this arena. And, um, and I was kind of thinking a little bit about my dad. And, uh, and I remember singing the song for the first time, song that we've sung here many times, How He Loves Us. And the emotion of that song. And I remember lifting my hands in that arena. And it was like the Holy Spirit just hit me. And yes, I miss my dad like crazy, and I still do. And some of you in this room, you know how hard that is. Still miss him like crazy, but I know where he is, and I know who God is. And it's literally like a touch from him can change everything, can't it? And the pain's still there, and the loss is still there, but we're not stuck. We've lifted up because we're looking up. And so I want to say to you this morning as we come in to land, you know, we at this church, we believe in life after death. But we also believe in life before death. And we believe in life after a death as well. After the death of a loved one, there is life. After the death of a marriage, there is life. After the death of a child, there is life to come to you. After the death of a job or a career or a dream or a hope and, and you wanted to go to Paradise Falls, whatever your Paradise Falls are, after the death of that, there is life. But don't give up. You've got to look up. Let me just bring this into land. Let me just go to the end of the film. Carl reaches Paradise Falls eventually. And here's the thing about life. When you get where you've always dreamed of going, it can still feel really empty on the inside. And he goes and he gets there and he thinks, why am I still feeling empty? I've gone on this adventure. This is the dream. And he gets there because here's the thing. What we need on the inside, guys, will never be found by what's on the outside. So some of us think if we just travel more, it'll all be better. If we just do more, it'll all be better. If we just have more, it'll all be better. If we just become more, it will all be better. And we're looking on the outside for something that can only happen on the inside. And then he finds Ellie's scrapbook, and this is so moving. And it reminds him of her absence, but it also reminds him of his perceived failure. Because in his mind, she thinks he's a failure. She thinks they missed out on the adventure. But here's the thing. As he reads the scrapbook, he realises he was not a disappointment to her after all. And this is what she says. Thanks for the adventure. Now go and have a new one. Now I know it's just a film. And I know I'm a little bit, a bit of an emotional bloke, okay? I know that. But could that be Jesus speaking to some of you today? Could that be Jesus saying, hey, thanks for the adventure. Now go and have a new one. Because yes, something has gone wrong. Yes, something is painful. Yes, you may be stuck somewhere. But my hope and my dream, Jesus wants to say to you, is not that you get stuck in that, whether it was good or bad or indifferent, but whether you go have a new adventure now. Can I say to some of you who've been Christians a long time and you're in this church, I love you so much. Your faithfulness thrills me every single day. But please, listen, don't get stuck as you see younger people coming through, as you see newer people coming in, and I have this conversation regularly. You know, because, oh, I don't know what to do now. Where's my place in the church? These young people are coming in. These new people are coming in. Please don't get stuck. Your role now is to invest. 
Your role now is to cheer. Your role now is to encourage. It was so great at Limitless, not just seeing our young people and our youth trendy leaders and Andy. Um, and, and, <laughs> but it was, it was also... It was also good to see some older people like Chris and Helen Neville, and I'm in that age as well, who, and Peter and others who were, were encouraging and cooking and helping and cheering on. That's older people who are not getting stuck, but are having a new adventure. And here's the thing. The message for Carl that he reads from his wife is absolution. It's like the guilt disappears and so then he does go on a new adventure, but, but, but he's already got to Paradise Falls, but he goes on a new adventure, and this is a real adventure now. And his adventure is summed up in one word, others. Others. In 1910, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, where I was brought up and still are passionately grateful to God for all of that. William Booth, Catherine Booth, heroes in the faith for what they did. And you know, in 1910, uh, it's Christmas Eve, and um, uh, he's ill and um, uh, can't move about much and losing his eyesight and there's a big congress, a big conference basically uh, and all leaders are assembling from different parts of the globe because the Salvation Army has spilled out there and funds are tight and they haven't got much money and he wants to send a message by telegram to inspire the troops but every word in a telegram costs money and they haven't got much money. So he just sends one word and it's just six letters. And so all these people have come together and they're waiting to hear the, the inspiration and the passion that, that the founder, the general, William Boo, is going to say through this telegram. And the one word is others. Others. And I want to say, let your adventure, let your life be an adventure for others. Go on an adventure, however old or young you are, for the sake of others. And what Carl Friedrichsen does is he goes to save Kevin the bird. He then lightens the load in the house. He says, we don't need all this stuff that I've held on to. It's just preserving the past. We don't need that because we've got an adventure to do now. We've got an adventure to live now. And so he gets rid of all that stuff. He sees something in the people around him that he's not seen before. He is reborn with an enthusiasm for life. And then right at the end, he gets to go to Russell's ceremony in his school, where the, where the Boy Scout Russell, where they're all given badges and Russell's got this badge, the last badge that he needed on his chest. And, and this is so moving. As Carl pushes through and says, oh, no, no, you've got, you got to make way for me. I'll make way for an old man. You'll see it in a minute. And he puts this badge on Russell. And in that moment, you see, you see Russell has a mom who's brilliant, doesn't have a dad. And so in that moment, Carl finds the Carl becomes the father Russell never had, and Russell becomes the son that Carl never had. That's adventure. Take a look. When I watched that again, um, the first service, there's a line in that little bit that I hadn't seen before. I just saw it in the first service, and it was when he pushed through and he said, uh, "I'm here for him." I'm here for him. You see, see, see what, what got Carl unstuck was shifted from I'm here for me to no, I'm here for him. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I want to be here for him, don't you? And I want to be here for him and for her. And, and maybe you identify this morning with Carl. Maybe you've got yourself stuck somewhere in your life. Maybe it was disappointment. Maybe it was death of somebody. Maybe it was something that was so good that you just can't move on past that because nothing's going to be as good as that. And maybe Jesus has invited you here and drawn you here today to call you up. To call you up. 
There is more for you than you can ever dream or imagine or realise. So don't give up. Look up. In fact, I want to say to you, don't give up this morning. Stand up. And so I want to invite you, any of you this morning, as we pray, to respond to this. So let's close our eyes just for a moment. And if this morning you identify with what I've been saying and you know that somewhere along the line you've got stuck, you've got stuck, you've got almost locked into a moment, you just can't get, and you're saying today, Jesus, I do not want to stay stuck. I'm not going to be stuck. I'm going to look up and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to shake off some of this dust and I'm going to live the life that you want me to live and I'm going to invest in others and I'm going to pursue what you do because I'm here for him. I'm not just here for me. So if that's you this morning, I want to invite you just to stand. I ask you to stand. And it's big and bold. This isn't an easy response. This isn't a, oh yeah, everybody will do this. This isn't one of those. This is tough. And I want to close my eyes now because I know some of you and I know some of your experiences and life. And, and I want to close my eyes because I want to pray what I think Jesus gives me to pray and not what I think I know. So Jesus, I want to thank you for every person who's standing in this room today. Maybe those who are listening or watching who, wherever they are, and they're, and they're also standing maybe on the inside. God, I want to pray. Jesus, would you by your Spirit, would you release them now, I pray. Would you cut off almost that, those tires that are holding their life back and down. And Lord, would you call them up in Jesus' Name. God, you came down, Jesus, so that we could be called up. You came down so that we wouldn't get stuck and you continually invite us up. And Lord, even today, with a look or with a touch, would you call us up to the future that you have for us? Jesus, I want to pray for a new spirit of adventure in every single person who's standing. Lord, where there is pain, where there is loss, where there is disappointment, Lord, would you heal? Would you comfort? Would you strengthen? And God, where we've got into a mindset, I think you think. And we've even thought like that with you, God. Some of us in this room here, some of us watching and listening, we've thought that you think something about us that isn't true. God, I pray that we'd look at your book again and we'd see the truth. We are who you say we are. We are loved. We are favoured. We are cherished. We are delighted in. That's what the Bible says. So God, let those words set us free, I pray in Jesus' name. And now I want to do one more thing. If you're sat down, would you just open your eyes? And I'd like you, without being weird or invasive, just to put your hand on the shoulders of someone standing. Because I want these guys, as we finish off this morning, to know that as they move forward, they're not going to move forward alone. Carl all, all of a sudden realised there were other people in the world other than him. And, and, and it was like other people had been brought into his world and his world got bigger because of those other people. So Father, I want to pray again as we finish for these guys and girls that are standing. Lord, may they know as someone's put a hand on their shoulder that they're not on their own. They're not on their own in this thing called life. Jesus, I pray that you would encourage them, bring some incredible people alongside them. 
and cause them to keep moving forward, I pray. In Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Amen. Guys, take your seats. Thank you so much. We're going to be radical this morning. We're not going to sing. We were going to, but we're not. We're going to finish right there. And you know, if any of you would like us to pray for you or with you more, we'd love to do that. There's a prayer space over here and a prayer team here. And I want to encourage you as you go, take tea and coffee with us and go get your kids if you've left your kids in the kids' work and young people. And, and you know, I want to encourage you, talk to each other. Talk to one another. I'm going off script here now. Talk to one another about what's really happening in your lives. Don't do life alone. It's not how it was designed to be. And actually, as we start to do that, I think we'll realize there's more of us in other people than we think. And that's why these movies are so powerful because they resonate because we resonate with them. We resonate with the adventure. We resonate with the disappointment. We resonate with the dreams. So I want to encourage you as we go this morning to don't do life alone. It's not how it was meant to be. God bless you, everyone. Thank you for being with us.